I thank God for all who have led us in worship, our musicians, those who have led us in prayers and readings and the public profession of faith. We're so grateful, grateful to worship with all of you here in person and with all of you who are worshiping with us online. We are in a sermon series called Crosswise. We're talking about understanding Jesus's death and the cross is so full of meaning we could never capture it all in one sermon or even in one sermon series but we are exploring some of the vast meanings of the cross and today I want to draw your attention to Romans chapter 3 verses 21 through 26 I will be reading from the new revised standard version and the title of today's sermon is justification on the cross righteous by faith But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. Let us pray. Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word, help them to hear your word, and Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Be careful reading the first 20 verses of Romans 3. It can get you down. All have come under the power of sin, Paul writes. There is no one who is righteous. All have turned aside, Paul continues, together they have become worthless. Their feet are swift to shed blood, ruin and misery are in their paths, and the way of peace they have not known. Has Paul adopted a doomsday mentality? Has he become a pathological pessimist? Has he been watching the news? Actually, Paul is claiming that no one is righteous by the standards of God's law. That's not hyperbole. Everybody falls short. While human beings are wonderfully created in the very image of God, we transgress God's law, we violate God's will, we veer from God's path. 
Our sins are intentional and unintentional. They are thoughts, words, and deeds. They are things we have done and things we have left undone. The doctrine of universal sin is readily accepted by many even outside the faith because evidence of everyday life confirms that humans make a multitude of moral mistakes. Sin is part of who we are. Philosopher Immanuel Kant remarked that there is something in the misfortune of our best friends that does not displease us. The Germans talk about schadenfreude, deriving a sense of pleasure from the troubles of others. Is Paul so off base to say we are all under the power of sin? Has he gone too far to say that there is no one who is righteous? He adds in Romans 3 verse 20 that the whole world is accountable to God. This evokes the image of a courtroom where God presides as judge. Theologian Fleming Rutledge writes, For all that is wrong in the world, a cosmic reckoning is required. A Bible scholar, Marcus Bart, calls it the great and final litigation. Romans 14 says, We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. The situation then is that we're all under the power of sin. There is no one who is righteous and we are all accountable to the judgment of God who is all-knowing, all-powerful and from whom no secrets are hid. Paul has us shaking in our shoes at Romans 3.20. Then comes verse 21. One of the most important transitions in the history of literature. But now, says Paul, a sublime shift is underway. But now, says Paul, a welcome counterpoint has arrived. But now, says Paul, this is the turning point in Romans 3 and the turning point for the human race. What Paul has been saying is about to be qualified. The human condition he has outlined is about to be reframed. Captivity to sin is about to yield to a new theme. Universal unrighteousness is about to give way to a new claim. But now, says Paul, the righteousness of God has been disclosed. The righteousness of God is the justice of God, the uprightness of God, the character and integrity of God, the goodness and truth and morality of God. The righteousness of God might be called into question in the light of the sin and injustice and wrongdoing and violence that plague the earth. But the righteousness of God, says Paul, has been revealed through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. 
quick review so far. The human condition is sin. The righteousness of God is Jesus Christ. We are tapping into the core of the Christian message. In fact, the 16th century church reformer Martin Luther called Romans 3, 21 through 26, the very central place of the epistle and of the whole Bible. Not only is the righteousness of God revealed through Jesus Christ, but listen to verses 23 through 24. They are now justified by His grace as a gift. The Greek term translated justified is dikaiou, which means to be declared righteous. The word derives from the legal context where ancient judges had the responsibility to reach a verdict after hearing the arguments from two opposing sides. In the end, after hearing both parties make their case, the judge would declare one of the parties righteous, which means innocent or justified in the eyes of the court. The closest parallel in modern-day America would be in when a defendant is declared not guilty. The word justified, therefore, evokes the image of God declaring believers righteous in the eyes of the heavenly court. But isn't God's judgment supposed to happen at the end of time? Isn't God planning to hold court on the last day? Yes, indeed, in the Old Testament, God's judgment is anticipated at the end. For example, Isaiah 50 says, I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who justifies me is near. In the New Testament, the theme of the final judgment continues. For example, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, All must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Since divine judgment is an end times event, the term justification anticipates our future standing before God. Justification, in other words, is a preview of God's final verdict in which we are declared righteous, innocent in the eyes of the court, not guilty. It's as if God is pronouncing us righteous on the last day and the sound waves have echoed back through the tunnel of time down to the present. It's like we get to hear the soundtrack of the final judgment before it drops. It's like a messenger uh, from heaven's judgment bench has come to us in the defendant's chair with a slip of paper before the verdict is read and we've unfolded that sheet of paper to find written there the word righteous. We know we have sinned. We know we have fallen short of God's standards. We know we have transgressed God's law. We know we have strayed from God's path. Yet the judge calls us righteous. It doesn't mean that we're faultless. 
It means that despite our many faults, God has graciously declared us righteous in the eyes of the heavenly court. Someone might raise an objection, though. Objection, Your Honor. This doesn't seem fair. We who have sinned are pronounced righteous. We who have transgressed God's law are declared innocent. Isn't this a miscarriage of justice? Doesn't God's justification of sinners call into question God's own righteousness? This is when we point to the cross of Christ. Justification is a gift of divine grace pursuant to the death of Christ. God worked through the crucified Christ to satisfy the demands of justice on our behalf. Verse 25 says, God put Christ forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood. Effective through faith. The Greek word translated sacrifice of atonement here is hilasterion, which refers to the mercy seat in the Old Testament. The mercy seat was the lid on the Ark of the Covenant that God's people carried around with them. Once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest of Israel was to sprinkle the blood of a sacrifice on the mercy seat in order to make atonement for the people's sins. When this happened, the people were set right with God. In Romans 3.25, the language of blood alongside the term hilasterion indicates that the cross of Christ is where God makes atonement for human sin. The cross of Christ is the new mercy seat. The cross of Christ is where God makes up for our mess-ups. Jesus' death somehow satisfied the standards of justice On our behalf, God came to us in the person of Jesus Christ to meet the demands of God's own justice. It's as if the judge stepped down from the heavenly bench and did everything required for justice in our case. The judge served whatever time we deserved. The judge absorbed the consequences of our transgressions, due to Christ's death, God can justly declare us justified. Due to Christ's death, God can righteously declare us righteous. At my daughter's former elementary school in Tennessee, the principal had a system in which students were given marks for misconduct. These marks were kind of like demerits. For example, if a student was talking in class, that student might get a mark. Or if a student was out of line in the hallway, that student might get a mark. On the other hand, when students did something good, they received these little cards called good job cards. 
So if a student did something nice for another student and a teacher or administrator saw it, they might give that student a good job card for that. And students could accumulate good job cards over time. And the way the system worked as a whole was, if you got a mark for talking in class one day, but you had a good job card in your pocket from something good you did last week, you could apply your good job card against that mark and it would cancel it out. It would all be even. Everything would be uh, copacetic again. This system seemed helpful for training children in proper behavior. And some people assume this is how it works with God. If we have done enough good things to make up for the bad things we've done, it'll all even out in the end. But this assumption is misguided. It would be more accurate to say that Christ earned a good job card on the cross when he died in perfect faithfulness. And when we put our faith in Christ, we receive his good job card. We receive his righteousness, which cancels out our sin. We could never amass enough good works to cancel out our mark of sin. Only Christ's good job card can make up for our misconduct. This is how we are declared righteous in God's court. The verdict is not based on our merit, but on Christ's merit. The verdict is a pure gift of God's grace. In this case, Part of the gift God is giving us is a word. A word can be a powerful gift, as you may know. The written sentiment in a card can mean more than the package that comes with it. A strong letter of recommendation from the right person can make all the difference when seeking admission or employment. A word can be a life-changing gift. And through the cross of Christ, God offers us the word righteous. God offers to etch the word righteous across our soul. God offers to emblazon the word righteous upon our uh, heart. We don't deserve this word. We have not earned this word. Yet God offers this word to us anyway, righteous. We receive the gift of this word by faith. Verse 25 indicates that the death of Christ on our behalf, the gift of grace God offers us, the justification God has arranged for us, and the word righteous God offers us are all made effective by Faith. According to 20th century theologian Paul Tillich, faith means simply to accept the fact that you are accepted. Faith is to accept the fact that you're accepted. If we accept the fact that we are accepted, says Tillich, we experience grace. 
So faith is to accept God's acceptance of us. Faith is to welcome God's welcome of us. Faith is to receive God's reception of us. Faith is to let God be gracious to us. Faith is to reach out and take the gift of righteousness so freely offered to us on the cross. To be called righteous is to be called what we are not. It is pure grace. Receiving the word righteous by faith not only acquits us in God's future courtroom, but also transforms us here and now. As Rutledge points out, in the Old Testament, God's word is performative. It creates what it names. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God said, let us make humankind in our image. And humanity came into being. God said to a 99-year-old man, your name is Abraham and you're going to father a child and become the father of many nations. And it came to pass. God said to Gideon, the least man in the least clan of the entire nation, you are a mighty warrior. And Gideon, sure enough, became such. Likewise, when God declares sinners to be righteous, God is not only giving us a status, but also a capacity. When God calls us righteous, God is not only declaring our standing as righteous, but also empowering our ability to become righteous. In short... For God to call us righteous is for God to make us righteous. There's no way God is going to say, let there be light and allow the darkness to continue unabated. There's no way God is going to say, let us create humankind in our image and not have humanity come into being. There's no way God is going to say, Abraham will be the father of many nations and not bring it to pass. There's no way God is going to say, Gideon will be a mighty warrior and not make it happen. And there's no way God is going to declare us righteous without also making us more righteous. What I'm saying is, righteous is not just what we are called, it's also our calling. God is saying, you are righteous in my sight. Your status is righteous. Your standing is righteous. Now go by my grace to become what you are. Through the cross of Christ, God has given us a name, a status, and a destiny. Righteous. Hear that word, silencing the sound of self-doubt. Righteous. Hear that word, stifling the vibrations of guilt. Righteous. Hear that word, soothing broken memories of past mistakes. Righteous. 
Hear that word, overwhelming whispers of shame. Righteous. Hear that word, overriding the voice of unworthiness. Righteous. Hear that word as gift and promise. Righteous. Hear that word as status and destiny. Righteous. Hear that word as standing and capacity. Righteous. Hear that word as your identity. Righteous. Hear that word as the final verdict of your life. Righteous. Hear that word given to you on the cross of Christ. Righteous. Hear that word spoken from on high. Hear that word echoing down from heaven's judgment seat. Hear that word as God's assessment of your soul. Righteous. It's not my word. It's not your word. It is God's word. And what God says goes. Due to the cross of Christ, by faith, we are declared righteous. Now all that's left by God's grace is to become what we are. Amen.